you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. <coughs> and the first chapter. And if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word today, we're going to be reading verses, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, <coughs> down through verse 38. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. With the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Please pray for me as I would seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we confess we are not sufficient for what is before us. For me to preach, O God, your word, I am not sufficient in and of myself. For your people, O God, to benefit from the proclamation of the scriptures, they are not sufficient in and of themselves. But it is, O God, that we would plead your grace. We would plead your help. I ask you, O God, to be with me as I proclaim this text this morning. I ask you to be with the congregation as they hear, that you would apply it to us, O Lord, that we may have a greater vision of who Christ is, a greater admiration, a greater honest of the redemption that was accomplished for us, and an encouragement by the fact that our Savior is ruling and will rule throughout all eternity. God, hear us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God's patience is overwhelming, is it not? You think about God's patience with you in your own life. I think that in so many cases as Reformed people, we can be so smug. We can be so self-righteous because our theology, 
is so correct. And the only reason you've embraced this theology is by God's grace, not your intellect, not by chance, but by grace. You know what you know in the Reformed doctrine. So God is patient with us because though we confess faith and though we follow after the Lord Jesus, we sin daily. We find our affections for the things of the world a bit too much and our affections for the things of heaven even being forgotten because we are so terribly, terribly worldly minded. And we get comfortable with some of our sins, do we not? And we even rationalize them away. As to why, well, this isn't so terribly bad. And we look at our neighbors and something perhaps they've done and they've been doing. And they're elders in the church. And we rationalize it away. God is patient with us. And it is amazing how patient he is. And we are those who, according to what is written by the writer to the book of the Hebrews, uh, we are not those who shrink back. That's a great text, by the way. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls. Because of our faith, because of God's persevering us as Christians, as those who are truly converted, as those who truly know the name of the Lord. We do not shrink back, but we fail again and again and again. As greed shows itself, as lust shows itself, as hatred shows itself, as we behave over and over and over again, contrary to God's good pleasure for us, contrary to God's dictates, and yet He still loves us. And He will love us. And He will in no wise shut us out. That's the way it is. That's the reality of the matter. How great... How overwhelming is God's patience for us as his people. But then we can think about um, redemption. In the book of Genesis 3 and verse 15, there is that first great promise for the one to come and to do battle with Satan and to conquer sin. And not only sin, but death. So many years ago, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall strike your heel, but you shall crush his head. There's that great promise of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, where he said, it is finished. And there upon Christ on the cross of Calvary, God's wrath, God's condemnation, God's disdain for sin was carried out completely and justice was served in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of his people. It is finished, said Christ. All the wrath and all the condemnation that you deserve and that I deserve we're satisfied in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to secure our place in glory, he was raised for our justification. That's the gospel. 
And yet how many years passed between that first promise of the Redeemer and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Several thousand years. And so we have then this period in the Old Testament where um, Abraham is finally called in Genesis and chapter 12. And there that promise of the seed of Abraham who would be the seed to do battle with the evil one. So many years. And then you have this man Moses who about four 46 B.C. to 406 B.C., the wilderness wanderings, and still no Christ, still no Messiah. But then you've got the promises that are given, and the promise given to King David, and the promise given to the prophets and the shadows and the types and the sacrifices and the temple that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and still no Messiah. Then you've got the end of the writings with Malachi, and no prophets were heard of for 400 years. 400 years of silence, and yet by God's grace you still had people anticipating on the arrival of the Messiah. 400 years of silence. Rome had become a world power. Rome ruled over Israel and still no Messiah until the birth of John the Baptist. It's fascinating. Biblical history, redemptive history is fascinating because the entire time there's silence. There's God sitting upon his throne. There's God Waiting until the exact moment, as it says in the book of Galatians, in the fullness of time, Christ came. It was not some afterthought. It was not some today I think I will do something uh, to be sure I keep the promises I made so many years ago to Abraham, uh, to Adam. I think I'll do something today. That's not the picture at all. But rather, in the fullness of time, Christ came at the exact moment, at the exact place, at the exact time God had determined from eternity to past, it should be. So dares John the Baptist going forth, preaching repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there then comes the Lord Jesus Christ. Well... <clears throat> Want to have us to see this this morning because God is determined to save Himself a people. He sent His Son into the world to establish an everlasting kingdom. Let's don't live our lives with blinders on. Let's don't live our lives becoming so enthralled with the world that we forget this is passing away. Right now we live in a time, the threat of nuclear war. Does it bother you? It shouldn't. It really shouldn't. Because Christ is on the throne. And because he's ruling. 
And they can do no more than what Jesus says is allowed. So the first thing then would bring to your attention. <laughs> Somebody take that clock down back there. The man who would be king, and of course I borrow from uh, Kipling here with this title. The man who would be king was born in obscurity. Now, the events surrounding the birth of Christ were extraordinary. There's no doubt about that. It was a night of the angels singing. It was a night of uh, a fulfillment of a promise that Gabriel had made to, uh, to Mary. You shall be with child and you shall give birth to a child. How can that be? I'm a virgin. How can that possibly be? Well, that's just how powerful God is. Nothing is impossible for God. And by the way, when we are praying about a matter, when we are praying for healing, when we are praying for someone's conversion, keep that verse in mind. Nothing is impossible with God. You know when you quit praying for someone's conversion? When they die, or you die, when they're gone, you don't pray for them anymore. There's no point in doing that. We don't pray people out of hell. We can't pray people into heaven. We pray for their conversion because God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy. We pray until praying time is over. And so our God can do anything is what the word here said. He said to Mary, even call someone who has never known a man to be with child. Now, it says the Son of God. God in the flesh. There are two individuals in this text that were talked about. Pay attention now. Once John the Baptist. Uh, he was conceived by a miracle. His mother was barren. They have a medical term for that today, but I can't remember what it is. But she was barren. Couldn't have children. And her husband is an old man. And yet, God blessed that union. And you remember what happened when he had that vision in the temple? This angel came to him, uh, you're going to have a son. <laughs> right. And you're going to call his name John. Come on. And you remember what happened? Because you didn't believe. You're not going to be able to speak till the baby's right. And he went out, and he couldn't talk, and they said, give him a pad something, and he saw a vision, they figured it out. And so the time passes, the baby's born, and they're arguing, what are we going to call the baby? Well, John, no, there's nobody in your family by that name. No, that's not the name to give him. Give him something right. He writes, his name is John. John. This is the first one that's born. The cousin of the Lord Jesus. Six months older than the Lord Jesus Christ. This one was foretold in the Old Testament. This one, I would call him, and somebody may disagree, the last Old Testament prophet. I would call him the last Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist, paving the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this other one then is born. And he was born by a most miraculous way. And with the birth of John the Baptist, there was an ordinary means whereby he was conceived. With Jesus, it was not. It was not. It was an absolute miracle that Christ was born. And so that this one who is born is truly God, and he's also truly man, the God-man. How do we see his divinity? 
If Jesus was God, how do we see his divinity then in the world? Well, for one thing, he forgave sins. You remember that? You recall that? Jesus says to this man, get up, take your mat and leave. And you know what the, the leaders are saying? This guy's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? What does Jesus say? Okay. In order that you may know, the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. First, let me ask you a question. What's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your mat and walk? Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because who can see that? You can't prove that. But you can see when somebody says, take up your mat and leave. In order that you may know, he says to them, the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. I tell you, pick up your stuff and get out of here. And he does. And that shuts their mouths. Christ exhibited his true divinity. That he could forgive sins. By healing this man. Before those who did not believe at all that he was the Son of God. And those who did not believe at all. That he was God in the flesh. And to keep in mind, Mary was a sinner. There's none who does right, none who is righteous before God. That applied to Mary. Don't think it did. The Roman church does not think it did. It applied to Mary. She was a sinner in need of God's grace. But when he says there, you found favor in the eyes of God. It means she found grace in the eyes of God. Now, I don't want to get into discussions about Mary's character or anything of that nature. She obviously was a godly woman, but she was a sinner. She needed the forgiving grace of God. But that which was inside of her, was conceived in her, was free from sin. As she grew... As he was born, he was free from sin. So this then, this individual, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born, the man who would be king, was one who was free from sins. As John was born against all odds, so the Lord Jesus Christ was born as well. An absolute, unadulterated miracle by the Lord Jesus' Father. Our great God in heaven. And it was predicted in the Old Testament, the both of these, John the Baptist as well as the Lord Jesus Christ birth, the fulfillment of what Isaiah said in Isaiah in the seventh and the ninth chapters. A virgin cow shall conceive and give birth to a son. The consistency of the Bible is amazing. That was predicted 700 years before it ever happened came to pass. Even the place where Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, it is told in the Old Testament as well to us that there the Lord Jesus Christ will be born in the very town where he was born is named in the Old Testament. So we learned that John was to be one who would prepare the way. He'd be one that was out in the wilderness preaching repentance. And calling people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the man who would be king uh, was born in rather obscurity. 
He was not born in a palace. He was not born to rich parents. Uh, again, the night he was born, it was a declaration of his presence by the angels. But as he grew his life, as he grew up, he was an ordinary child. Obscure beginnings. And you remember what happened? He had to be taken to Egypt to escape being murdered by King Herod. Well, the second thing is the man who would be king was of the lineage of King David. <clears throat> he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled by the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God or grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. You know, in John and Matthew, it says, For you shall save his people from their sins, which is not included. In Luke, he shall be great. He shall be called son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the house of the throne of his father, David. What in the world is that talking about? It's talking about an Old Testament promise given to King David and Samuel. Now, uh, David was by no means an example of consistency, was he? He committed adultery. He committed murder. And yet, this one, King David, we are told in Samuel, will have a son that sits on the throne forever. That promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is spoken by the angel Gabriel to Mary. He shall be of the house and lineage of David. who will give him the throne of his father, David. So there, uh, that Old Testament promise given so many, many years ago to David in Second Samuel and the seventh chapter is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see the uniqueness of the Savior, do we not? The fact that he is uh, God and man, the incarnation. We see the uniqueness in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the one who had no sin. We see uniqueness in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is that everything he did was to bring glory to God. We see uniqueness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in this, that he was willing to go to the cross of Calvary to redeem his people from their sins, as was God's good pleasure. Don't let this pass by you. This is, a, this is an expression of God's sovereignty, that he made a promise to David. Years and years and centuries before Christ was ever born. And yet when he was born, this is the one who shall sit on the throne. This is the one who is going to be king, not for a day, not for a week, not for a while, but for all eternity. That's Christ. And he promises this. So now at the days in which we live, where's Christ sitting upon his throne? Jesus rules. Every leader that rules in this world is sinful. Every one of them. I don't care if you like them or not. They're wicked. They're sinful. Unless they're converted. And if they're converted, they're still sinful. Every one of them. And they rule but for a time. How many kingdoms have been overthrown in the history of our world? I don't know. The great ones, we know about the great ones, do we not? 
I know about Rome and what happened to Rome. I know about Alexander the Great, what came before Rome. Alexander died in 323 B.C. What happened to the Hellenistic kingdoms, Rome, the Ottoman Empire. All these great civilizations failed. And the Third Reich and Hitler and his ambition to conquer and rule the world failed. History records him as a tyrant, but he's in the dustbins of history now, and he has no power whatsoever. But this man, who was born to Mary, we read here that he will sit on the throne of his father, David. David shall have a son, he shall rule forever. Well, how is that possible? David had a whole bunch of sons as far as descendants are concerned. We had Solomon, Rehoboam, and on and on and on we could go through the history of the church. Through the history of the Old Testament. Where are they today? They're all dead. They're all gone. But this one descendant who was to be born, this one child that was promised to David was Christ. You shall have a son on the throne forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's what the angels tell the Mary here. Mary, you want to know about this baby you're carrying? You want, you want to know what he's going to be like? You want to know who he is? He is the promised Messiah. He's the promised king that was promised to David so many centuries ago. He is the one who is going to rule over the world, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's who's going to rule. That's who she's carrying. God in the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ. He shall be great. And he shall be called Son of the Most High. That's Christ. God in the flesh. Who will establish his kingdom. Not for a while. But for all time and i love this death could not keep him down death could not hold him we need to meditate upon these things it'd be helpful to us he was dead you've seen dead people i assume i assume you've been to a funeral i assume you've seen that body in that casket they're not going to come back to life. They're not going to come out of the grave in three days. It's not going to happen. But Christ, as we read in the Gospel of John, had the power to lay his life down. He had the power to take it up. And so now that resurrected Christ is now ruling upon the throne of David and forever. This one who was truly God and truly man. And then finally, the one who would be king includes all sorts of people. Not just America. Not just Britain. But from all over the world. 
he will have a kingdom that will never end, and that kingdom will be made up of all kinds of people. And I love what Mary said, I'm your servant of the Lord. Let it be done, be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When we prayed for Larry Albert, it was hard to say, your will be done. Because God's will might not be to heal Larry. God's will might not be to make him well. He may well have gone through this, as far as we can see it, for no good end. The suffering, the pain, the discomfort, as we would judge it from our perspective, for no good end. And yet, we have to let God be God and trust that our God does not make mistakes. Mary said to him, let it be then. Let it be. And let me tell you this. Can you imagine the humility? When people get pregnant out of wedlock today, when I was growing up, it was kind of significant. It's not today. Not really. Maybe in the church, but by and large, people don't pay any attention. It's almost expected. It wasn't when she was pregnant. There's Mary. Do you see Mary? I thought she was godly. I thought she loved the Lord. Look at her. She's going to have a baby. She says it's from God. Right. We know why she's going to have a baby. Because she's immoral. She went through that. I guarantee you she went through that. Nobody fell down before and say, the mother who's carrying my Lord. Look at her and say, there's the woman who was immoral. And you remember what Joseph was going to do. He was going to put her away. In the Old Testament and New Testament time, the time of, of Joseph and Mary, an engagement was pretty much a strong commitment. You didn't just get out of it. I have a friend that got engaged, I don't know how many times, four, five, six, seven times. He got married, didn't stay married. Maybe she just kept getting engaged, perhaps. I don't know. But he would break them, get engaged, stay a couple of weeks, and then, then get unengaged. Hope he got his rings back each time. But that's not the way it was in the first century. It was a commitment. And it even says he determined to divorce her quietly. Because Joseph was nobody's fool. Joseph knew what had to happen for someone to become with child. And yet you know what happened? The angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's not been immoral. She's not been loose. She's not been promiscuous. Because what is conceived in her is of God, a most unique individual. Truly God and truly man who shall be for the redemption of God's people. And so, as you know, he marries her. She becomes his wife. And then that great story of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in frightening times. Kingdom trying to take over kingdom. Threats being made. Rockets being fired. Uh... Ships being uh, sunk, 
all kind of things. This is a time of unrest all over the world. The United States is not going to last forever. It's not. But the church is. The church is never going to fail. Are you a part of the church? Are you a part of the body of Christ? That you can say, my kingdom will never fail. Because my king is sovereign and he rules forever. Because he is the king of a kingdom that shall never come to an end. Do you know this king? This great Jesus Christ, this great Savior and Redeemer. If you don't, all you have to do is ask Him to save you from your sins. And you're a sinner. You may not be notorious, but you're a sinner nonetheless. And you need a Redeemer, you need a Savior. And all you have to do is ask Christ to save you from your sins, and He will do so. Without exception. I love Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's fun. I've always loved, I love I love getting people gifts. And by the way, I like getting gifts, if any of you are wondering. And I love the lights and I love all of those kinds of things that are associated with Christmas. But the thing that we should keep uppermost in mind, you know, Christ was not born December the 25th. All of you know that, I'm sure. He's likely born sometime in the spring. But the focus of the holiday is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the focus. And he was born to redeem us and to establish a kingdom that will never end. Death has been swallowed up by victory. If you're here today and you're trusting Christ, you're a part of that kingdom. And what we look forward to is the fullness of that kingdom being established. Do you believe that? Do you really and honestly believe that? That'll do two things. One thing... It'll make your passion for the things of this present life kind of fade. Another thing it'll do is make the trials that you have more bearable. As you look forward to the establishment of the fullness of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. What? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And now you see, for those who are in Christ, we read this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He does not look at us and say guilty. But he looks at us and says not guilty. No matter how much we fail, not guilty. Because of who we are in Christ. Let's pray.